Hello, welcome to Raising Me. I'm Adrian Stein. This is a podcast where we take those challenges that we face every day as parents, that we often feel like we are completely bumbling our way through, and we take them to the experts for advice. Today is one that impacts a lot of parents, a lot of families, as nearly half of all marriages end in divorce. We are talking about talking to children about divorce and how to co-parent in a healthy way, even if you're not in the healthiest place. We are so fortunate to have Steve Young with us. This is his passion. He's on the board of directors at Kids First. That's an organization dedicated to healthy co-parenting. He is a longtime child and family therapist, 35 years he practiced. And he's also made a name for himself as sort of a, a go-to guy in court disputes. So he's walking us through, is there ever really a right time to talk with kids about divorce? The best ways to approach it, and just as importantly, strategies on co-parenting with the kid's best interest at heart. Steve, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. I know you've worked with families going through divorce and separation for decades. Is there one issue in particular that seemed to always come up for you? I think the core issue in how parents help their children through this process is how do we separate our own personal experience as parents from our children and their needs. Divorce and separation are, are a loss. There's a lot of pain, a sense of betrayal, and we need to process that. At the same time, our kids have very, very different needs. Their needs are based on how do I have the best possible relationship with the two most important people in my life? And so it's a parent's job to to find a way to compartmentalize and deal with the personal on one side and the parenting piece on the other side. And that's so hard to do. I want to talk about co-parenting and what that could look like in a healthy way. But it first starts with telling the kids and talking to the kids. Obviously, this is going to look a lot different having a conversation with a preschooler than it would a high schooler. So I understand that so many of these questions are very age dependent, but is there ever a right time to share this news? You know, I would imagine, well, we are waiting for the right time. Oh, we want to wait until after the holidays. Is there a a, a right time to have this conversation with your, your child or children? Well, I think there are a few wrong times, but there's never, it's never going to be an easy conversation. And certainly you don't want to do it on Christmas Eve or a kid's birthday or something like that. But other than avoiding those obvious ones, there's not a right time. There's a right way to do it, but not a right time. Okay, so where where do you start? How do you start this conversation? And frankly, what do you say? I'm a little pushy. I'm very directive here when I'm working with families. It's not a long conversation. It's important to prepare. And if at all possible, both parents should be present for this conversation. And it should look something like this. We have some hard news. Mommy and daddy or daddy and daddy 
loved each other and we tried to make it work and we couldn't make it work. And that's sad for everybody. We're going to be living in different homes now. That's the extent of the why and what happened. Now, there are questions. What's that going to look like for me, for the kids? But kids never, it doesn't matter if they're 50 years old. They don't need to hear more about the why. Well, that is an inevitable question that comes up. You know, you just are making breakfast and they're wondering why, well, why, well, why? Is it, isn't there some benefit, though, to understanding how their parents got here? Or in your experience, absolutely not. Just keep, I mean, what you're describing is a really simple, very basic, very straightforward conversation, but it's hard to end it right there. I do think that's the extent of it. Okay. Because if any of us think about relationships where people broke up, do we understand it? No, we don't. We don't all understand all the ins and outs. And what's important for kids is that they not assign blame to one parent. Hmm. How do you prevent that from happening? By both parents saying just those simple words. We tried to make it work. We couldn't make it work. It sounds so simple, but I've stuck to that for a whole lot of years. I've shared that perspective with a lot of uh, professionals in this field, and I've not had a challenge. Because if we oversimplify, so many parents say, well, my kids deserve to know the truth. The truth in their mind is, mommy cheated on me, and that's why we're getting a divorce. And I will, in an abrasive way, say, you may think that's the truth, but that's a lie. How so? That's oversimplifying a complex relationship in a way that blames one parent. It doesn't support the children having a great relationship with that other parent. The other version of that is, well, I really wanted to stay married, but your other daddy wanted to get a divorce. That information is very important to the adult, totally irrelevant to the kids. Hmm. The point is, you're going to be living in two different homes. We tried to make it work. We couldn't make it work. What you're describing are very simple, yeah. very civil conversations. Yeah. As I'm sure you know, it's not always a civil situation. So how do you get parents in that place where they can put aside how they may be really feeling to have these conversations with their kids? I've had a couple dozen situations over the years where parents would come into my office saying, how do we tell our kids? Usually it's farther down the road. If parents can talk about this ahead of time and say, okay, listen, what is best for our kids is for them to hear the same thing from both of us. One of the most destructive, this is a little digression here, one of the most destructive things for kids in the separation slash divorce process is what we call a loyalty bind, where they feel a loyalty pull from one parent or when they feel like they can't love both of their parents. That is very hurtful to kids. And so if 
two parents can sit down and say, this sucks, but we've got to tell the kids and let's do it in a way that focuses on what's best for them. Not how I can get somebody on my side, but what's best for them. Then they can script this. And it's not a long script. We really tried to make it work and we couldn't make it work. And that's sad for everybody. And that's the end of the why. You know, often kids will ask why. And it's the same kind of why that says, why do I have to go to bed now? Why do I have to brush my teeth? They're not looking for information about how many hours of sleep do I actually need or what's my dental hygiene process. They're saying, I don't like this. Why do I have to do this? Why do we have to you know, live in two homes? So, yeah, I know that's simple and straightforward, but I really strongly believe it's what's best for kids. If you are in a household with multiple kids, yeah. And these kids are of various ages. Do you have a conversation separately with each child? No. Okay, it's all one. One conversation, you say. Yeah, yeah. Why? Because if one, typically the oldest kid gets the news first, and basically the message is, don't tell your brothers and sisters, I'll tell later. That's a burden on that child. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the other questions are, so where am I going to live? Where's the goldfish going to be? You know, those are straightforward answers. And parents need to reassure the kids, we're both going to be in your lives. We're going to work together as your parents. If they know the schedule ahead of time, you're going to be at you know mom's house on Mondays and Tuesdays. You're going to be at dad's house Wednesdays and Thursdays. And then every other weekend, you're going to switch. So it's a really balanced schedule. And I know this is hard. I know it's hard to live in two homes. When it comes to the kids' feelings and the emotional impact, how do parents help help their kids in the aftermath of learning this. So we've had the conversation and then what? Ultimately, we want to make sure they're okay. Yeah, yeah. What's important is to keep the issue open. You know, how are you doing with this? I know this is hard. It's going to be a front and center issue for kids for weeks, months. And so to keep bringing it up, And to bring it up in a way that kids can say, I hate you for doing this. This is all your fault. Again, back to that compartmentalization. We have to separate our own feelings from our children's feelings. None of us want to do anything to hurt our kids. And yet we are. So it's acknowledging their feelings, giving space for them to have those feelings Let's flip that a little bit too, because what about parental guilt? I haven't gone through this. I mean, full disclosure, other than, you know, my, I grew up and my parents were divorced, but the parental guilt that would come along with this, I would imagine can weigh very heavily in some cases. This is a longer term process, but it's so important that we forgive ourselves. We're all doing the best we can. Mm-hmm. 
we're all doing the best we can. And eventually to forgive the other parent. And that's a hard one, but it's a necessary one because the other option is to hold on to bitterness and resentment, which is bad for us. Ultimately, it's about creating stability for the kids. And that's why I want to talk a little bit about moving into that space. You've had these conversations. It's moving into the space of co-parenting and what that looks like going forward, whether you have a, a, a young child or a teenager, right? And I'm sure they come with all the different challenges. Yeah. There's a piece that you wrote, actually, I found it on the Kids First website that talks about the same polarization that we see in society when it comes to politics today, for instance, kind of has a tendency to play out in divorce situations where it's a natural tendency for one parent sort of want that other parent to be the other guy or the other gal. And you said there's an exercise that you do in one of the classes. And I thought it was so powerful where each parent writes the goals for their children independently, reading them aloud yeah. and finding they're often very similar. It kind of brought tears to my eyes when I was thinking about that um, and that exercise. That has to be so powerful. And it seems like something, you know, in a perfect world, people could do. It's actually not that hard to do. I tend to be an idealist, but here at Kids First, this is our mission to create peace in families by helping parents work together. And we have several programs to do that. The exercise that you're referring to, Adrian, we call it Hopes and Dreams. It's for co-parenting partnerships. We don't call them couples anymore. They're not. It's no longer a personal relationship. It's a, a parenting relationship. And we have each of them write out 10 specific hopes and dreams that they have for their children. Often these are people who have not been communicating well, maybe have pretty strong anger toward each other. And they're hearing this other parent say, you know, I'm hoping our daughter can realize her dreams. And one of my hopes for our son is that he can learn really good self-care. And, and you see on the other side of the table, sometimes tears that these two people who thought they were enemies now can realize this doesn't erase all the problems. This doesn't erase that we have very different ways of getting to some of those goals. But we have the same goals. There's going to be inevitable conflict. So how does that get resolved? We have a four-step process for managing conflict. It starts with how to raise an issue. So if, if two parents have a, a decision to make, and, and let's assume they have different ideas of how to, how to, what that decision should be. It begins by inviting the other parent into addressing the problem. For example, would you be willing to talk about how we could maybe give our children a good balance between downtime and extracurricular activity? Now, let's say maybe one parent is leaning more toward the hanging out at home time and one parent, you know, maybe that parent thinks the other parent overschedules the kids and they're involved in too much. 
But if you state it in that neutral way, then these two parents who have different opinions can engage in a problem-solving process that doesn't involve blame and that doesn't involve, we're going to do it my way. It doesn't involve win-lose, but assumes that kids do best with both of their parents deciding these things together and also assumes that no one parent knows the best possibility for a child in every situation. Kids need two parents. What should a custody agreement include? And I'm sure they're it's so dependent on so many different situations, but some key things that really should be in every agreement. In the state of Maine, you will not find the word custody in any legal document. And I think this is really positive. Custody really has to do with property ownership. And it an adult perspective word, which says, I want to get my share. Every parental rights decision coming through the courts begins with what's called shared rights and responsibilities. Both parents are required to make all significant decisions together and share information about the kids together. Following from that is then what we call a contact schedule. The kids are going to be at this home these days and at this home these days. And here's how the school vacations and so forth are going to get apportioned. Beyond that, the court process exists primarily when parents can't work together. We often say here at Kids First, the best Divorce decree is the one that's been at the bottom of the drawer for the last three years because we haven't needed to refer to it. Kids' needs change. I bet your kids' needs aren't nearly what they were three years ago. And so if you spend fifty dollars or $80,000 in, in a court process to uh, nail down a very specific agreement, that's got an expiration date on it. So... You know, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, even though I've been in court a lot of times and worked with a lot of lawyers. I'm not sure there are a lot of things that need to be in every divorce decree. But this first paragraph, the shared rights and responsibilities, that says we have to decide things together, we have to confer. The hard issue is now how do we do this? What if a parent isn't going along with the parenting plan that you have come up with together. What would you suggest? Yeah, I would suggest there are a couple options and it depends on the level of communication possible. There is a place for the courts, you know, if if we can't work this out, we will need to go back to court. But there are mediators, there are co-parenting counselors, coaches who are available to help people go through this. There's very little accountability in the legal system. They're not going to follow you and say, are you following the plan? So what are some of the markers of success when it comes to co-parenting that you've seen in your experience? Good question. Regular communication that parents have kind of tailored to their own needs. At Kids First, we recommend a weekly real-time phone call following a very specific structure once a week, which limits 
the need for responding to text messages frequently throughout the week. We also recommend beginning uh, each conversation with a very brief, uh, what we call good stuff, some cool story about the kids. Sally was changing the goldfish's water and it flipped out on the floor and she rescued it. Isn't our daughter awesome? And then you kind of get down to the, the structure. If there was one thing that we could do as parents, whether we are just about to go through this, are currently going through this, or have gone through it, what is one thing we can do today to help ourselves or help our kids? I'm going to say go to the, the first step program at Kids First, because it's a four-hour program that covers really almost everything you need to know. It's painless. It's on Zoom. It's accessible to anybody. I'm not just plugging the program, but it's it has the answer and it has the perspective. And of course, we'll, we should mention we will have that information on our website. So uh, for any of our listeners who are interested in more information on that, as well as additional resources. We'll have that on wgme.com slash raising me. Steve, thank you so much for the conversation today. Welcome. Okay, so uh, look, I can only imagine how difficult this is. I do certainly know how difficult this is from a child's perspective and still remember it well. But no, this too shall pass. And the fact that you are seeking out information, listening to podcasts like this, hearing what experts like Steve have to say, show how much you care on getting it right. What might have surprised me most is just the simplicity of the conversation that Steve suggested. Really simple, straight to the point, non-emotional, and most importantly, allowing, acknowledging, and leaving space for your kids to have their emotions, share them, and express them. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. I'm Adrienne Stein. This episode is edited by Megan Littlefield. It is produced with Nate Eldridge as well. So please follow Raising Me wherever you get your podcast. A positive rating and review helps others to find this message, so we certainly appreciate that. Wherever you are, I hope you learned something new and get to take a little time for you. <laughs>